we still do many, many things, bad things to each other, even though we're Christians. Keeping in step with the Spirit doesn't mean you're conceited or you're provoking or envious, but you restore them gently. So rebuke or, or church discipline here is... Hello, hello, and welcome back to Malaysian Christian Talks, the podcast where we're Malaysians, we're Christians, and we talk about all things Malaysian and Christian. I'm your host, Kenneth, and uh, we're back here today with uh, Adriel for another episode of Malaysian Christian Talks. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you know, it's been like, what, two months since our last episode? Exactly, and yeah. it was a much-needed break for all of us, and I hope for our listeners as well. Yeah, you know, for I mean, first of all, we want to say a Happy New Year and a Happy Chinese New Year to our listeners, and Happy yeah. Holidays to those who are, you know, not celebrating, but celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> so, Edro, maybe why don't you just catch us up to where we left off? Okay, so in episode 5, we talked about the ascension of Christ, you know, mm-hmm. and that he will judge the living and the dead. And we talked about how, you know, we we talk about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but we don't uh, seem to talk a lot about the, uh, the emphasis of his ascension, yet it is something in our creeds. But if you want to know more on the significance of the ascension, uh, please do click uh, either here or here uh, to watch the previous episode. But today, okay, uh, Kenneth, mm. what is it that we're going to be talking about? Right, we finally come to the final section of the creed uh, that starts with I believe, and it goes like this. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Okay, I made a mistake there, so there's actually a bit more that comes after that, but we are starting on the final section of the creed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Kenneth, Mm -hmm. offhand, when you read that out, right, it looks like the Holy Spirit got the shorter end of the stick. You know, when you talk about, uh, I believe in Jesus, you know, there's a whole unpacking there. Even the Father mm-hmm. gets a whole unpacking and there's a connection between Jesus and the Father is like so special. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it just gets a, I believe in the Holy Spirit, done deal. You know, is, is there more to it, Kenneth? Mm. Right, so um, off first reading, I can see where you're coming from with that because like, uh, you know, it just looks like, I believe in the Holy Spirit, dot. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church dot the, the communion of saints dot and that's how it actually is like in the creed you know it does the full stop over yeah. there uh, but what I believe we should be doing is that we should be reading this section uh, not as individual statements but rather as expounding on the work of the Spirit so instead of saying I believe in the Spirit dot the Holy Catholic Church dot and so on mm-hmm. we should be reading as I believe in the Holy Spirit and his works, which are the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints, and so on. Wow. Wow, okay, yeah. I like that. I like that. I've never thought of it that way. I always struggle with that reality. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So, um, yeah, so with that in mind, right, I think we need to ask, like, what is the Spirit? Because if you take the first part here, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we want to first expound, see what it means. So what is the Holy Spirit? Or rather... Who is the Holy Spirit? Mm. Now, but before we go any deeper than that, I just want to make a quick statement over here, right? Uh, and this comes from like the pain in my heart. Uh, <laughs> what I've seen many churches that claim to be Reformed do uh, is that they strive to be Christocentric or Christ-centered in their preaching and teaching, 
which is good, you know, that is the correct way to do scripture and these are well-meaning churches. Mm. But what they can sometimes do is that they preach Christ in everything to the detriment of the work of the Father and the Holy Spirit in the work of redemption. So we say that, you know, everything is Christ, 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 but um, hello, the Father is also involved and so is the Spirit. And we want to see how in this part of the creed and how, you know, the creed explains that the Holy Spirit is no less important in the work of salvation than the Father and Christ. Mm. And, and kind of really feel you there. I wholly agree. And I think um, churches, if you're listening to this, uh, don't, don't take this as an attack. Just take it as a reminder for all of us. Even us, mm. sometimes we might do the same thing, you know. Mm. But uh, to add on then, you know, uh, back to who the Holy Spirit is, the first thing that we're going to look into is that the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not any less uh, all equal holy and set apart and there are many verses that we can look into but one of them is uh just to show you an example is acts 5 3 to 4 if you have your bibles turn there we're going to read uh, and this is peter uh, rebuking ananias on you know cheating on how he's giving to the church and, and peter said if i read something from verse 3 right ananias how is it that satan has filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit he didn't say lie to the Father. He could have. He didn't say lie to Jesus, but he showed that this, like you have wronged, you have offended, you have made an offense to the Holy Spirit. Like there mm-hmm. is that, as a, an authority right there. And we fold some of your proceeds from the land. First of all, did it not belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? How could you conceive such a deed in your heart? And he ends, you have not lied to men, but to God. Mm-hmm. He had, Peter had no issues interchanging Holy Spirit and God right there, mm. showing that he is uh, Holy Spirit is God, and you know, if now that we know that the Holy Spirit is God, right, Kenneth? My question then is, what does the Holy Spirit do in redemption? You know, mm. yeah, right. So thank you so much for expanding on who the Holy Spirit is. Yeah. So um, like we mentioned just now, right? Uh, like you mentioned that uh, if the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, we have to remember that the works of the Holy Spirit are never separate from the works of God because, again, the Holy Spirit is God. So whatever God does, the Holy Spirit also does. So uh, what we want to see here is that the Holy Spirit is no less involved in redemption than the Father and the Son. And we can already see like hints of uh, that involvement uh, in the earlier part of the Creed where, he, where the Creed references the uh, Spirit's work in the part where it says, you know, the son was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm, so there's mm. already like a teaser over there, you know, regarding the work of the mm. Spirit. But if we want to see like a more, uh, uh, a more detailed explanation on the work of the Holy Spirit, that, you know, our redemption is ultimately a Trinitarian work. Uh, there is a passage, I think, was it Ephesians chapter 1, right? It talks about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So if you if you would take the time to read all of Ephesians, right, you know, it starts off with you know Paul greeting the Ephesians and says, uh, blessed are you to every spiritual blessing. And then he says, whom you've chosen by the Father before the foundations of the world, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're redeemed in Christ. And towards Ephesians 1, if you want verses 13 to 14, right, it says this reality, this inheritance of you being in Christ as the purpose by the Father is sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit 
who is also our guarantor of the reality of what it means to be in Christ until mm. Christ comes again in all his fullness to unite everything to creation. So in Ephesians 1 itself, there's that Trinitarian work. Mm. right? You can never split them up. They're all working in tandem. Mm. Right. So, uh, yeah, like you said, so if the Holy Spirit is, you know, part of that salvific work, so what then does he do in, you know, in redemption? Because like you said, the Father uh, predestines, the Son uh, redeems, you know, he does that work on the cross. What what the Holy Spirit does then is that he uh, unites us to Jesus. Mm. And uh, that un- that unification to Jesus can actually be seen from a few, from a couple of different uh, perspectives. So number one, it is salvific. And salvific, of course, that means uh, in a salvation sense of the word. So what that means is that uh, he, the Holy Spirit takes our sins and imputes it to Jesus on the cross where he pays the penalty for it. And he takes the righteousness of Jesus, you know, Jesus fulfilling the law on our behalf and uh, taking the uh, punishment for our sins and imputes it to us. And because of that uh, salvific imputation, or we call it the double imputation, our sins to Jesus and his righteousness to us, we are then, in the work of the Spirit, adopted uh, as sons in Christ. And so yeah. what he does is that he indwells in us and makes us his people. And, and there are multiple verses one can draw from this, right? Just offhand, Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. First Corinthians twelve three, talking about the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The reality that we are able to proclaim this shows the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you see he just he doesn't just justify us and then leaves us to start all fresh, you know, like I'm clean you up, now you're clean, now go live a good life. And the mm. reality is we were sinners to begin with and we needed a savior. We couldn't save ourselves Amen. and we wouldn't be Amen. able to. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit comes in here, he doesn't leave us, but he strengthens us, remember the word, and sanctifies the believer. Right? So his mm. indwelling in us has a twofold work. Okay, let's go to point one, the fold number one. Okay. Uh, in that strengthening, in that uh, no, um, uh, giving us the strength to, to carry on, he is convicting us of our sins and also right. the world, right? John mm. 16, 8 says, And when he comes, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, mm. he will convict the world concerning of sin and righteousness and judgment and concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Right? So he wants to convict them to believe in him and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. That's Jesus speaking there of the reality mm-hmm. of his work. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, right? Mm. And the Holy Spirit encourages us to pursue holiness, right? When we, when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, or, or the other way is to say we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. One of the evidence, if I may, of the many evidence is that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in Galatians 5, 22 to 24, you know? The fruit mm. of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And uh, big disclaimer, just in case, because everyone makes this disclaimer and everyone makes this mistake. Fruits, some say fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> right, there's love, right. then there's joy and there's peace, you know? But the reality is, uh, just... if you're going to grow in love, you have, to, you, can, you have to grow in joy, peace, kindness, and goodness. You, don't, you, don't, you cannot be more loving and less patient, <laughs> right? It's not, it's not pick and choose, right? It's, correct. You, it's you a get one, one or nothing. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah. And so Galatians 5.25 reminds us, you know, 
Paul says, let us live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Because this Holy Spirit, which uh, uh, works in the part of redemption, is strengthening us and mm. sanctifying us as we continue on our daily life mm. in the, yeah, as a Christian. Yeah, thanks. So I think I just want to uh, double-click a bit more on the uh, sanctifying part and uh, how the, basically how does the Holy Spirit encourage us to pursue holiness? So, um, I mean, offhand number one, you know, we have the scriptures. And what the Holy Spirit does is that he reveals and illuminates scripture for us as Christians. So what does that mean, right? Illuminate sounds like, you know, does it mean I light the scripture on fire? You know, yeah. that was what illuminate means, right? To light up. Yeah. Uh, so if we look through scripture, what it says is that God has divinely inspired the writers of scripture through his spirit. And... Uh, we can see that, like, you know, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, that, you know, all scripture is Theopneuma. Or God breed. So, uh, we can see that God is very much involved in, you know, writing his book. And it is through the Holy Spirit that uh, the writers of scripture uh, were inspired to, you know, pen down the words of scripture. But not only does it, like, does he, you know, uh, give us the words and like we look at it and it's like, what are all these words, right? He, he also then gives us understanding. And we can see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 18, where it says, mm. uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having your eyes enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He called you and what are the riches mm. of His glory, of his glorious inheritance to his saints. So we see mm. the spirit of wisdom here being imparted to the believers by the Father uh, to understand what it means to have this glorious hope. Mm. Mm. And, wow. and that is the reason why uh, two people, a believer and a non-believer, can look at the same, you know, the same verses, the same passages of scripture and go away with very different responses. Why? Because one has understood the glorious grace that has been given to him and in turn, you know, repents, whereas the other does not have that understanding and just sees, you know, a bunch of words, you know, probably just a fairy tale. Or, or is, it, is it one of the many reasons why some people say that the gospel is offensive? Because mm. the, the gospel makes known, apparently, apparent known of your sin. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't give that reality of the understanding that in that sinfulness, only then do we understand that Christ comes as a Savior, mm. uh, we will see it as, how dare you call me such an evil person? Is, is it something along those lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, because you know, for us, we like to think highly of ourselves. So anything that comes and says that you're not a good person is offensive to a person who does not understand or rather see, his, see himself in light of who God is, in light mm. of the true and good holy standard. Mm. And the Holy Spirit does that, you know, he convicts the believer and says that, hey, you are a dreadful, wretched sinner and you can do nothing of yourself, but by grace, through Christ, you have been redeemed. And that leads to repentance and adoration for God, which the unbeliever doesn't have because, again, he doesn't have the spirit of understanding. Understood. Understood. And has blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. But when I say the word understanding here, 
what I don't mean is that you know it just leaves it as an academic understanding. It's not just an intellectual, um, you know, apprehension of you know what scripture says. Again, going back to what uh, Adriel said, it the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and when He convicts us of sin through the knowledge that comes from scripture, He points us to holiness, and mm. empowers us to live holy lives. Mm. Mm. Right, and another way that Hazi uh, we can see how the Spirit works in us is that He then dwells in us. So it's not He doesn't like you know God is not an external God where you know like oh do this do this do this do this. It's amazing because um, I think it's a uniquely Christian uh, you know understanding of God where mm. God dwells in the person because mm. you know uh, usually yeah. how can a good and holy God you know ever be with you know sinful and uh, you know, disgusting, wretched people, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. What we have to remember is that in in the past, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, Judaism or you know Old Testament, yeah, Old Testament religion was what we call a temple-based religion, mm. and what that means is that worship revolved around the temple. So that's why we can see how central the tabernacle was in uh mm. Old Testament worship. Yeah. And the tabernacle, once again, is where the presence of God was. But then we see a shift in the New Testament where, you know, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, uh, 22 to, 21 to 22, it says that there will come a day when neither on this mountain nor the temple in Jerusalem, neither on this mountain because the Samaritans had a different mountain where they worshipped yeah. on, and, you know, the Jews had a Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. Will you worship the Father? But the hour is here when true worshippers will worship in spirit and truth. And we can see that you can see that reality here with us Christians today where it says in First Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen, that we are the temple of the spirit. We are wow. the dwelling place of God. It's amazing, isn't it? Wow. Yes, it is. Yeah. And again, you just think about it. How can a clean and holy and righteous and good God ever dwell with unclean, unholy evil people right yep so yep that so we see this uh once again uh what we call typified or there is an image rather a rather hint of it in the old testament law where it says you know this is unclean that is unclean this is unclean that is unclean of course for us like as first-time readers or maybe like you know i think for many of us it's still the same thing we look at the old testament and say like wow what's so weird one you know Cannot wear two different fabrics together. I cannot eat shellfish. Uh. Yeah. Well, I like my right. oysters. I like oysters. So I like my pork, you know. <laughs> ah, exactly. You know, I'm Chinese. <laughs> so why why are there such weird laws in the Old Testament that says this and that? So ultimately, uh, all these things are not random. All these laws are not just here because, you know, oh it's you know uh, intrinsically unclean or whatever. But rather it is because it is pointing forward to a reality that there is a distinction to be made between what we call the clean and unclean. Mm. And those two cannot go together. That's why mm. it was such a big thing. Cleanliness, you know, cleanliness loss was such a big thing. If the priest was not clean and he tried to enter the temple, yeah. die, die. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's just a lot to, uh, to digest in terms of just being in awe of the work of the Holy Spirit 
And guys, right. we're just halfway there, man. We're just halfway there. Yeah. But we're going to segue to the next point, you know. Um, remember how we were, uh, Kenneth was saying, do not see the whole, I believe in the Holy Spirit dot the Holy Catholic Church, but rather the, to see the creed as describing the work of the Spirit as the Holy Catholic Church. And this is the next part we're going to look, you know. Mm. Uh, so let's start off with this uh, statement, right, of this object, this word mm. church, right? Church comes from this German word Kirche, I think. But uh, if we translate back all the way to the Greek, the word there is Ecclesia, which mm. means a gathering of people. And when Jesus says my Ecclesia, it means a gathering of my people in my name, which is where we get uh, the name of the book, you know, Ecclesiastes, because the preacher is preaching to a group of people. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, as Andrew has says, as you have so, uh, you know, succinctly put it you know the church is gathering of people right and i think that is the kind of the point of uh what this part of the creed here is saying it's that uh the church is a gathering of more than just one people and again i'm i'm going to say something here and this is once again from the pains of my heart is that there is a tendency there's a lot of heart pain right (laughs) there is a tendency among certain christians to say that all i need is jesus and my bible and that's it which it's kind of like, it just hurts because um, scripture. If you know your Bible, scripture like Hebrews chapter ten verse twenty five, you know, First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, speak about the gatheredness of the church. Because when you know the author writes um, these letters, it is speaking as though the church is more than one people, and the whole point of you know these writings here is that uh, they should edify and build each other up, and so like. Uh, all these activities in the church naturally flows from the work of Jesus, the gospel. Yeah. And you know how the Holy Spirit then works in his people. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, just to add on to your pain, uh, I think sometimes when, you know, when we are preparing for the creed, um, I mean, I say this again, um, saying that if I'm willing to be corrected, right? I'm willing mm. to be corrected. But as we are preparing for the creed, we see how. Um, many churches have sort of strayed away and went on to do their own thing and somehow uh, forego church history. Mm. And because of that, it has branched off to unnecessary things. La. That's how I put it. And, and that, that pains us as we are preparing this. You know, these kind of statements where, you know, all I need is Jesus and my Bible, you know, mm. stuff like that. But the reminder as what Kenneth says, right, is this, you know, your faith, though personal, right, is never private. Yes, our salvation, right, is individual. God saved us, right? But if we have been saved, uh, we are to be saved, to be obedient to his words, we'll find ourselves that uh, we are called then, in his words, Mm. we're called to a community, to a church, to a gathering of his people. You know, we are, we are, we are, how do I word it? We are not just saved from, we are saved for. And many people, Churches tend to forget the, the four bit, right? And not mm. to sound legalistic, right? But can I, so now that we have defined what church means, my question is how is the church described? Right. So, um, of course, the first word that you know the creed used there is the holy. Yep. And what does holy mean? You know, because you know it, it's very it's very much thrown around in our Christian circles. You know, holy, holy, holy. You know, but you know what does it mean? Full of holes, 
<laughs> yeah, no. Um, so holy here actually means that uh, it brings about the idea of being what we call set apart. And it comes from the Greek word uh, hagios, or even the Hebrew word uh, kadesh. That's why we get the word uh, roh kudus, you know? Ah, it's the Holy okay, Spirit, okay. yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, so... Um, so this idea of being set apart, uh, we can actually see, like even back in the Old Testament, the idea of a people being set apart um, for God, uh, for, you know, through a covenant sense, like through Abraham. Let's just look at Abraham in Genesis, all right? Where he says that, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. So, see, the idea here is that, hey, you know, Abraham, I will consider your descendants, you and your descendants, as special, you know, separate, you know, because I will covenant with you where the others do not have that grace. And, you know, we can see this, like, in Abraham, in his descendants, in national Israel itself, we can see in Mm -hmm. uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 14, verse 2, you have been set apart you know, as holy, you have been holy as holy <laughs> to the Lord your God, and He has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be His special treasure. So again, there is that idea of like being set apart for a special purpose. Yep, yep. Yeah. Exodus nineteen six also re- um, like it's like echoes from Deuteronomy, right? Um, it's like you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So again, priest gives this idea of being set apart to intercede to be a holy nation mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, again, so from Abraham to Israel. Israel. Yeah. And now we can see that even happening within the church because, you know, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 echoes, you know, Exodus. It says that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Mm-mm. Or even First John chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, but you belong to God, my, ch- my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. These people belong to the world. They speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. So again, see, we see the work of the spirit uh, separating uh, a certain people to God. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, so what does it mean then to be set apart, you know, um, because we can talk about what we call being uh, positionally holy, you know, we have been set apart. It uh, it doesn't just stop there because a lot of a deadly mistake that a lot of people do is through yeah. what we call osas. You know, once saved, always saved. Oh, I didn't know that was a term. Yeah, that was a that that, that is that's a term. totally sus, man. Yeah, it's very <laughs> sus. Actually, it is biblical because like, once you have been saved, you have always been saved, right? You know, it, the Father works and, you know, you are mm. preserved. But mm. a lot of people take that term and what they do is that they say, oh, you have been saved by Jesus. Now you can live like the devil and you will still be saved. That's, but that's cheap grace. La. That's yeah. cheap grace and that's just blasphemy, you know? Definitely. It takes yeah. away from the, from the fullness, the weight of what Christ has done on the cross. Correct. So it doesn't say that you are positionally holy. It tells you to be functionally holy as well. Exactly. Right? It tells you exactly. to live holy. And right. we can see this, like, you know, in verses like Romans chapter 12, you know, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First John chapter 2, you know, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, 
the love of the father is not in him and so on so the idea here is that hey you have been saved now act like it correct and and it is it's a humble reminder right because in genesis when god created humans in his own image mm. gives the idea that we were already set apart from the rest of creation right. and we are to reflect his glory and God told in Genesis to rule um, to rule over to have dominion over creation to be that functional holiness in that sense mm-hmm. right so now we're going to get to the word okay which I think a lot of people have been waiting for Catholic Jane okay? Jane 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 okay <laughs> Just, just to put it out there, when we read this word, we think, whoa, 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 are you saying Roman Catholic? No, Roman Catholic is a capital C, right? But what we mean is a smaller C. So, Kenneth, why not we help us explain what this Catholic is? Right. So, uh, the word Catholic is actually Greek for the word universal. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. So, um, what do we mean when we say the church is universal? You know, does it mean that everybody is saved? You know, universalism is a heresy, right? Mm-hmm. But we can see in uh, Revelations chapter 7, verse 9, you know, we see images of the nations, you know, so all coming to God. And the idea here is that, um, hey, Christianity is not limited to a certain people in the Middle East by the Mediterranean. It is a message it is good news for all of the world. It is to every corner of the world. Mm-hmm. And what having what's it? What having uh you know the gospel spread to the whole world? You know people with different cultures, different understanding, different uh trains of thought would mean that ultimately, and you know you can take this as either a good or a bad thing. Uh, I would say it's a good thing. Is that there will be different expressions of the Christian faith in different parts of the world. So what that means, like, you know, is that if you go to a church in, say, England, uh, you know, you, the worship there, the language used definitely, will be very different from a church in, say, Uganda or Kenya, which is very different from a church in, you know, Paraguay or, you know, Uruguay. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and again, do not mistake this for universalism when we say mm. that the church is universal. Right. Mm. We don't mean that everybody, every single person will be saved. That's universalism. Yeah. We say the yeah, church correct. is universal. It means that it has different cultures. It is for yes. everyone. Yes. Yeah. So the beauty of it is that uh, Christianity allows every believer to retain the distinctiveness of their cultures and, uh, you know, and their language and everything. Because we see the scripture says that every tongue and tribe will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's like, hey, mm. it, Scripture recognizes that there will be different tongues, different tribes, but they will all mm. confess one Lord and one Savior, Jesus Christ. Nice. So, nice. And, be- and what that also means is that, uh, you know, you don't have to learn a particular language in order to understand the Bible. Amen. Yeah. I mean, just a little bit more about the redeeming the culture part. I just want to tell a little story here. Uh okay. So, uh, what I've heard from some Christians from India, right, is that Deepavali, you know, we say it's the festival of lights, you know, and usually it entails like worship of, you know, certain Hindu gods and goddesses because, you know, ask for their blessings for the new year. But what a lot of uh, Indians in, uh, what Christians in India have done is that they have taken Deepavali and said, 
It is a festival of lights, and we now celebrate the light of the world that is to come. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So I'm like, whoa, you know, so they can still retain certain festivals, you know, their culture, but they have, but Christianity redeems it and says now it worships the one true God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar to when, you know, the Taoism, when they say Tao is, is the way, certain Christians who came out from Taoism now shares Christ in which this Tao you're talking about is, is Jesus because Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the right. life. Right, yeah. so Tao means yeah. the way. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm. Okay, so again, so going back to the part where, you know, uh, you know, you don't have to learn a particular language in order to learn the Bible. And, you know, if you know which faith or belief I'm referring to, you know, you know, you know. Lah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, what, but what the Bible has shown is that the Holy Spirit instead gave the apostles the ability to speak in different languages to the pilgrims mm. to understand in Acts. Mm. So, again, you know, uh, it does... So what that means is that you don't have to dress a certain way, you don't have to speak a certain way, you know, or to follow a certain culture in order to be a Christian. You can be a Chinese and retain Chinese culture and still be called a Christian. It's just mm. that certain aspects of Chinese culture, like, you know, ancestor worship and all that stuff, has to be, you know, redeemed. And mm. points to the worship of Christ and Christ alone. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Understood. Understood. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to take this part here? Uh, the Old Testament is centripetal. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, um, the other aspect to see how we you know when we talk about uh, holy uh, this idea of Catholic, right? You know, in the Old Testament, um, if I reuse the word church here, okay, Old Testament, there was no church that was gathering as people, okay? Mm. It was the century people. It was inwards, right? Mm. Uh, everyone congregate to one spot, you know? The Gentiles um, had to walk and talk and live like an Israelite if they wanted to enter uh, into that, that faith at that time, right? Mm. Uh, you had to be circumcised, you know, you had to follow the Judaism laws. But in the New Testament uh, church, right? Uh, it is what I'll call centrifugal, which is, you know, outwards. It's, it's flowing outwards because we are to go to make disciples of all nations now that we have come to understand that we are united in Christ. Mm. We're not united by anything else, right? And as like Kenneth says, like, you know, I, I'm united in Christ. I'm a Chinese united in Christ. There's an Indian united in Christ, you know. There's a there's a there's our fellow other brothers and sisters united in Christ, right? There's that distinctiveness. And in that conviction, right, mm. the love of God or the gospel compels and pushes me out. Yeah. Mm. And, and the church, right, while there is that local gathering, right, mm. there is an equal uh, and opposite force, okay, the F equals <laughs> at the same time, reaching out. Evangelism and discipleship happen at the same time. Mm. Yeah. So, so, that's also another reality of when we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, and the thing about having, like, you know, again, uh, the, the gospel go out to peoples of different uh, cultures, different understandings, different trains of thought is that ultimately, uh, uh, rather, as, as a product, right, I would say ultimately, is that there will be different interpretations of the Bible by different Christian groups. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which is why we have, like, so many denominations and abominations, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 But what comes to mind, of course, is uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 13 especially, where it says, 
until we attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. What does that mean, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so uh, look, even at the time of Paul itself, right? You know, the apostles who had first-hand access to Jesus himself, you know, who were the original writers of the scriptures and all that, they themselves, even Paul here is admitting that they themselves were not fully united. That's why he can say, until we achieve the unity of, uh, you know, of the faith and knowledge. So if even the first-hand people did not have the unity of the faith and knowledge of, you know, of the Son of God, how about us 2,000 years later, you know? You know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, we can see that, you know, we differ on many, many different uh, topics. You know, we have understand certain things differently. So are you saying that, you know, um, like, because this is until we attain the unity, do we say then now that the church is not united at all? How, how do I make sense of that? Right. So this is where we do what we call a triage. And uh, basically a triage is that, uh, you know, when you go into the medical, when you get admitted to the hospital, what the doctors would do is that they see that, oh, you know, if you just have a cut, you have less importance than someone who has a broken bone. Or, you know, someone who has a, you mm-hmm. know, which maybe someone has a heart attack. You know, he mm-hmm. could die in the next minute. So, mm-hmm. we need to then see uh, which, you know, uh, which doctrines are worth uh, dying over or which are worth, like, you know, fighting for. And which doctrines are, uh, you know, you know, we can still debate. We can still, uh, you know, have conversations about it. But we can still call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think ultimately, uh, you know, when... When will we actually achieve that total and full unity? When Jesus Christ returns. That's my interpretation yeah. of it. Because, you know, if we try to make unity through man-made, uh, you know, efforts, we yeah. will, you know, we will have different people who are hurt, who will feel left out because, again, we are sinful people. We are not the standard of uh, unity. And our interpretation can be faulty we have to have that humbleness to the humility to admit that we can be wrong so if we can be wrong we can we should not you know be imposing uh, certain doctrines on people if they don't agree to it and mm. saying that you know this is gospel as well and if you don't believe it you're not a christian yeah so just to check whether uh just to clarify yeah right so um it conviction is paired with humility where, for example, certain essentials, right? Mm. Um, every Christian will agree on the Trinity, right? Mm. Uh, secondary could be maybe, you know, how um, how uh, baptism is done. Yeah, yeah. Right? Correct. But, but the more indifferent one is, uh, you know, worship must never have a minor key or <laughs> don't sing from... Yeah, that one will not affect your, your faith, you know? It's just it's another song kind of thing. And I just want to make sure that our listeners also understand what, what Kenneth is not saying, right? Okay, uh, he is not saying that all interpretations of scriptures and understandings of doctrines are equally valid. Okay, mm. he is saying we need to see what we differ on and how central that differences is to our faith, and choose where to dig our heels. At the same time, have that humility and where love is present, where the gospel is present, journey with one of them and always have that uh, honest conversations mm. until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Mm. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that happens when, you know, God 
ultimately comes to dwell among us. So we won't need the scriptures because ultimately the scriptures will point to God. And if we have first-hand access to God himself, then, you know, yeah, full yeah. unity, direct from the source itself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, exactly. So, like, what you said, you know, in so far as we confess the same Lord and God, what we can do as Christians is to be charitable to those who differ in non-essential doctrines. So, like, you know, as I like to say, even the Arminians will pray like Calvinists when they, you know, pray for their non-Christian friends. <laughs> you know, because we don't say that, you know, give me the strength to preach to this person, like, God save this person. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So, so that's the Holy Catholic Church, right? Mm. Rich. But then comes the communions of saints, right? So my question uh, is, you know, when we talk about Holy Catholic Church, why do we need to add the communions of saints after church? You know, like when I hear Holy Catholic Church, I know there's a communion there, mm. right? I know people are gathering there. So why does the creeds <coughs> to add this extra line? Mm. Yeah, exactly. So to answer that question, we will need to first define two words here. Communion and saints, right? Mm-hmm. Then we can see like how then it fits into you know uh, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. So uh, what are saints? Uh, you know, for those who have heard saints, you know, the first thing that would come to mind is the Roman Catholic idea of uh, saints, which is you know there are Christians, and then there are super Christians, right? You know, those who have achieved sainthood. But is this what Scripture teaches? You know, what what is it? So. Uh, the word saint actually comes from the word, the same Greek word as, you know, the Holy Spirit. It says hagios, which means mm. holy. And, you know, the, so when we say penuma hagion, it means the Holy Spirit. Mm. And hagioi means the holy ones or saints. So what is, how does scripture define holy ones? Or how does he call saints? You know, does it talk about Christians and super Christians? You know, we discussed earlier that, you know, the Holy Catholic Church is a gathering of people, a group of people, set apart for God's purposes. So the church is holy or set apart because it consists of believers who are holy or set apart. Yeah. And immediately a few verses jump to come to mind again. And this was mentioned earlier, like 1 Peter 2.9. Peter tells the believers, no, instead reminds them, you're believers, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people for God's possession. Every single language inside there screams of being set apart. And we were set apart for God's (coughs) purposes, right? And in that sense, in that sense, right, it is not a pastor or a self-proclaiming prophet who are the super Christians or the sainthood, right? All are called to be super Christians. In fact, first Ephesians starts in verse 3, right? Um, all who are in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. It doesn't mm. say this particular Christian who does this will have a BMW in heaven, whatever. <laughs> all are called. And, and again, you know, Acts 1.8, all of us are given the Holy Spirit, the power to witness Christ. All, again, the word here, all. I like this because there are no hierarchies in the Christian world in that sense. We're all mm. sons, we're all adopted, we're all sanctified. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also First Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, to the saints, right? Called exactly. to be saints together with all 
uh, in Jesus Christ. So, you know, every one of us, every single Christian is a saint, or saint. what we call the sainthood of the believers. That's where the doctrine right. comes from. Right. Now, we've defined saints. What about communion? You know, how is it different from, like, you know, what value does it add to the Holy Catholic Church? Because uh, the Holy Catholic Church, you know, church can mean just a gathering of people. But when we say communion, you know, which is where we get, you know, our communion, you know, with Christ, it is more than just mere interaction with each other. Communion here implies intimacy with each other. And it is a very powerful image because what that means is that we're not just called to be a social club, you know, like, you know, just like, hi, bye, you know, and everything. It calls us to uh, have deep fellowship with each other. And mm. this fellowship, you know, ultimately, our horizontal communion with each other stems from our vertical communion in Christ. So we are not a social club. We are a holy nation, you know, a priesthood, brotherhood. a brotherhood, exactly. Yeah, and we can see that, like you know, First Corinthians chapter ten, verse sixteen, or Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse four. And what happens here is that the joy and love that finds its source in being united to the eternal, loving relationship with our Savior necessarily and will express itself to joy and love with the brethren. Mm-hmm. Mm. And having that joy, having that desire for fellowship with each other means sharing both the joys and the sorrows of our Christian walk with our brothers and sisters. So, you know, passages, passages that say, you know, bear each other's burdens, uh, persevere in conflict with one another. You know, First Corinthians, when it talks about, uh, you know, it, Paul calls out the Corinthians for bringing charges, you know, uh, against each other in court mm, 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 and also mm, mm. even teaching and rebuking each other these yeah. are all part and parcel of communion with uh, you know the saints in fact I, I have this one this one small passage right that I think really succinctly uh, explains this brotherhood and it, again it comes from the Holy Spirit mm. uh, if you look at Galatians 5 25 to 26 it starts off with if we live by the Spirit this mm. spirit which the creeds that we profess now, mm. let us also keep in step with the spirit, okay? And by keeping in step with the spirit is what not? Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking to one another, envying one another. That, that talks about the church. Amen. Yeah, and, and I love this because, you know, the, it leaves us no holes, right? Number one, let us not become conceited. Wow, my theology is so good. I'm so awesome. I'm so holy. I'm a super Christian and you're not. <laughs> let us not provoke. You are not good enough. You are not Christian enough. You're not holy enough. Um, and let us not envy one another. Oh, he's so holy. He's so good, right? But instead, right, catch this, right? Galatians 6 talks about brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, be it you, you, had a, uh, you had an affair or you preached a wrong theology or you preached a wrong sermon, right? Any. You who are spiritual, if you claim to be spiritual, you claim to walk in the spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Um, and verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and mm. so fulfills the law of Christ. There it is again. There's what it appears. And that's the beauty of that communion of saints. It's a messy communion, but a beautiful one at the same time. Right. And it's like just one of love, you know, it's not one that, you know, uh, leaves you, uh, how say, leaves you sad, you know, that you 
uh, this does it call you out and say that you know you are bad Christian and leaves you as that as that exactly know, it builds exactly. up exactly correct correct yeah uh, wow so we've you know we've covered like you know the first half of you know I believe in the Holy Spirit we've got fireworks going in the background the time very timely you <laughs> very know? timely and I yeah. think I think this is our longest thus yet right I, I just feel it's just so rich and I just hope the whole listeners will listen all the way through the end mm. you know yeah man yeah Right, so how, you know, what are some takeaway points that, you know, we can close this episode with? Yeah, uh, I mean, there are a lot of takeaway points, you know. Uh, we have looked through uh, the fact that we believe, right, that mm. the Holy, uh, in the Holy Spirit, and this Holy Spirit uh, uh, pours into the Holy Catholic Church as part of the work and the communions of mm. saints, right? So one of the things that uh, I'll say is that uh, our identity, right, mm. as chosen holy ones, must be reflected in our lives. Mm. You cannot just say that we are Christians and it doesn't reflect anything. I mean, it's a real sus thing to say you're you're Christians, but then you don't live it out. So you know, okay, as Christians, right, we believe we are safe and we are called to live this holy life. We are we are set apart, right, to be as uh, to make disciples of all nations. Okay, now yes, will we fail? The answer is yes, we will fail. Mm. And we have to remember the role of the Holy Spirit a few minutes ago, right? That is the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen us, to convict us, to sanctify us. And it's sanctifying us from a positional holiness, as what Kenneth says, because impute the so in Christ our position is holy. Mm. So the Holy Spirit then changes us from positional holiness to a functional holiness. To be like Christ, whom, if you watched the previous episode, was a functional son that lived out a holy life uh, in who God is. Yeah. Mm. So, so this I, is one of the big closing that I think <laughs> I will have for us. Wow, that's that's amazing, right? Yeah, because we are called to, uh, you know, be image bearers of the sun. So exactly. as the sun is functionally holy, we have to be functionally holy as well. Exactly. exactly. So good. Mm. And yeah, what about you, Kenneth? Yeah. I don't know, for me, it's... I like how like the benefits of salvation is uh, applied to us by the Holy Spirit, and mm. so it shows that you know the Holy Spirit is very much involved in uh, the mm. covenant of redemption, in the work of redemption, in redeeming us. And again, uh, as I griped about in the earlier part of the episode, you know, our theology should give each and every person of the Trinity their due adoration, worship, and respect. You know, we do not elevate the Son to the neglect of the Holy Spirit and, you know, the Father. We do not elevate the Father to the neglect of the Son and the Spirit. Nor do we elevate the Spirit to the neglect of the Father and the Son. Yeah. All these, these three are three persons of one God. You know, the Bible is theocentric, God-centered. Yeah. And we should see the work of each person as, you know, uh, you know we see redemptive history work out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one more thing I think for me is, you know, uh, Christianity is not a lone wolf faith kind of thing, you know. Mm. We need brothers and sisters to keep us on the right path. We cannot do it alone, right? Uh, our Father in Heaven, when we say our, means it's not just my Father. Ah, right? and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so the communion, of, uh, you know, the communion of the Church, right, is by the grace of God. And, you know, iron sharpens iron. And, okay, I speak from a married point of view okay <laughs> right um i will never be half the man i am today without my wife right my wife has been sharpening me and i've been sharpening her in our faith to god 
and mm. and that's that's been a privilege, right? So yeah, that's the other my other takeaway lah. Amazing, you know? right? And uh, yeah. So just to double click a bit more on you know the communion part. You know, ultimately, you know, we have to still remember that we are sinful people, mm. and you know the sad reality of you know being in communion, being intimate with other sinful people, is that there will still be hurt in church. There will be unjust hurt, and there will be just hurt, because mm-hmm. you know. Mm. So what 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 do I mean by you know unjust and just hurt? So just hurt or fair hurt is the hurt that comes from you know you sit be you sinning and you know you being disciplined for that sin, because you know discipline is not a pleasant thing to have, yeah. but it is yeah. just it is fair because uh it is for our sanctification that we uh you know we. You know, don't indulge in our flesh. We are called out for it, and that we are called to go back to the right path. But unjust hurt, of course, comes and stems from sin. So you know, some of us we still uh, slander each other. Yeah. Uh, we still get angry with each other. We still lie to each other. We still do many many things, bad things to each other, even though we're Christians, because we are still in sin. But that is not. A reason to leave the faith, and that is not a reason to leave the church as well. So my call to you, uh, you know, I'm not a pastor, but this is a pastoral call, you know, and I think it's for yeah. the both of us as well. Yeah, is that ultimate? You know, the church is, you know, it is a messy place. Yeah, but the church has a standard to hold itself to. Scripture, God has already said, you know, this is what the church looks like. So if your brother hurts you, if your sister hurts you. You have the right to call them out and say, "Hey, you are not being Christ-like. You are not conforming to Scripture." So mm-hmm. it is not like a stoic acceptance of you know mm-hmm. you know the reality is that you know we can't change these people. So I just have to you know you know I'm just going to be depressed about it. No, God has called these people to be redeemed. You can tell them, act like it. Exactly, and and I won't take this chance to read. Redeem this word of church discipline and rebuke when we mm. we tell them off, right? Many people think of the word rebuke as you're calling out and you're really pinning them out to their character and making them feel so crappy. But remember, when you keep in step with the spirit, Galatians said, right? Mm. Keeping in step with the spirit doesn't mean you're conceited or you're provoking or envious, but you restore them gently. So rebuke or or church discipline here is full of love, right? And you're holding to the highest standard of holiness, which is God Himself. And mm. in that love, you're saying, "Hey, you know that wasn't loving." And you know, help, help me understand why did you do that? Don't go like, Kenneth, you just say the f word, right? Uh, oh, uh, uh. No. no, no. So now that now that's conceited. You see, the tone shows conceited. But when we say rebuke, it is in the context of love. It will always be in the context of love. It yeah. is redemptive. So I just wanted right? to exactly. It's redemptive. Yeah. It's restorative. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's not merely retributive, you know, kind of thing. Mm-mm. So yeah. Right. So, so yeah. I guess you know that calls the end of the episode. It's been exactly. a very, very insightful episode. I think it's a very, yeah, really long episode, but it's just like you said. There's just so much to unpack. Exactly, and and I I'm, yeah. I will not miss any moment of it. You know, yeah. every moment was just awesome. All right, so um, I guess with that, we thank you guys for listening in. Uh, you know, yep. this is the end of the episodes uh, six of the Incredible Church. 
so once again, our you can find us on Instagram at Malaysian Christian Needs, or you can find us at Spotify at Malaysian Christian Talks, and also on YouTube. So uh, thank you guys and good night. We'll see you right. in the next episode. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye.